A well-rowed shell is art in motion. It moves smoothly. Stroke after stroke, oars drop in the water and come out together. The rowers' bodies swing back and forth in sync, performing the same motion of legs, backs, arms at the same instant. No extraneous shrug of the shoulders, flick of the wrist, turn of the head, shift of the seat. The result? Perfectly spaced swirls of water trailing the shell's wake? offers the only visual cue of the speed these on-water dancers live to create. It's a deceptively pretty picture, because an all-hands-on-deck battle rages deep within the head of every rower. Forget the wind and the weather. Ignore the crew in the lane next door. The real fight pits your single-minded desire against the trio of your physical limitations, your intellect, and your fear. During a race, the question always boils down to this. How badly do you want to go fast? How much pressure can your body tolerate as the pain crescendos past uncomfortable to excruciating? How completely can you ignore your rational self, which chooses this moment to conduct an in-depth analysis of the importance of rowing and the imperative of speed? How much fear can you stand when its loud voice shrieks of losing and losers, reminding you how hopeless your dreams are and empty your future. Depends on how desperate you are, because you love this stupid sport. When it came to rowing, I was a sucker from the start. The heart wants what the heart wants. The first time I saw a shell in motion, I was sixteen a high school junior who had slipped the chains of my fancy boarding school life for the briefest of respites. I stood on the Boston shore of the Charles River, watching a meandering race, the synchronic back and forth of the rowers' bodies, the fluid controlled motion, the play of light on rippling water and polished wood. And I was a goner. I can easily imagine what I looked like, a landlubber standing by herself, A brown-haired girl with hazel eyes that sidestepped direct contact, dressed in drab thrift store clothes and a torn, faded blue jean jacket. My second-hand clothes disguised an upper-middle-class background, and my usual scowl suggested I was just one more defiant, troublemaking adolescent. Only a careful observer would see my face already trained in the practice of worry, the sadness in the downward cast of my mouth and recognize how out to sea I was, lost and floundering. Yellow leaves swished through the air as I watched the boats. The river sparkled in the fall light as they rowed by, dark streaks in the star-studded water. The well-varnished wood hulls were nearly submerged, but none of the rowers seemed to notice. A driver hunched in the back of each boat, issuing orders through a small megaphone held by a thin canvas strap wrapped around his ears. He steered with white plastic handles attached to thin wires that disappeared into the boat's interior and connected to the rudder in some manner both mysterious and invisible to me on shore. Occasionally, he wrapped the sides of the boat with the handles as if for emphasis. Eight rowers faced him, sliding back and forth within their allotted spaces, dropping their oars into the tannin-stained water at the same time, pulling to the end of the stroke and popping them out. How do they make it so beautiful? Wish I could do that.
Follow the person in front of you. Do what they do. Hands extend out in front here, legs compress against your chest there, oars arc into the water now, and you can create beauty. Not just beauty, but harmony, too. Reliably predictable. You can count on the future, stroke after stroke, as long as you repeat the same set of motions. An endless circle of perfection. Safe and secure in the knowledge of what will come next.